You ever see that where they don't face each other? It just kind of looks like, looks like they're waiting on somebody and they're never going to get there, right? Uh, the, um, the guy who is on his cell phone and is going through the grocery line, right? And, and, and is not hanging up his conversation to actually proceed into the checkout. I think that's incredibly rude. Uh, and uh, the, my, one of my worst ones is uh, when I'm like, go to the convenience store and I'm just trying to buy a Coke or maybe a pack of gum and it's all of like 75 cents or something like that. And all I have is either a credit card or I've got a $20 bill. And that's all I have. All I need is one, and, and you get all this change back. Or when your uh, total is like, you know, like 1701 if you don't have a penny. Right, and the cashier hands you back ninety-nine cents. It's the worst, uh, the worst feeling in the world. I think the worst one though is uh, when, and guys, this is just us. Uh, when, when, when a guy comes out and, and exclaims to the world, "We're pregnant, dude! You're not pregnant. Your wife is pregnant. You had very little to do with it, right?" Uh, but, uh, it's just funny when it's like, I'm going to take response. We are pregnant. You're you know, okay. just it's something in me. It's just that, that pet peeve. It just kind of bothers me when I was living with a family, uh, in Louisville, when I, uh, had an internship during college, I lived with this family. They had like a fourth grade son, a sixth grade daughter. And, uh, I remember going to the store with them on a regular basis. And this, this, this little thing just kind of bothered me for whatever reason they got, had gotten in the habit or maybe the, their parents were teaching their children to, uh, to pray on a regular basis. And so what they would do is when they'd pull into the parking lot of the store, they would literally, as a family, begin praying for a parking spot. I thought that that was weird. And it actually, the, and, they, and it wasn't just once. I mean, they would do it every single parking lot that they went into. It was just like as soon as they hit the parking lot, even the kids would join in in prayer. God, please give us a good space at the parking lot. Uh, we just want a free space kind of close to the store. I mean, it was just, I mean, just, they just kind of went on and it really bothered me. And the reason why it really bothered me, because I was just like, God doesn't care about your parking space. You know, he would rather you park like across the street and have to walk to get some exercise. He really doesn't care about your parking spot at all. And it really just bothered me. It, it went into my soul and I was just like, why are you doing this? But I, and what's interesting is I think, I think on one hand that, yeah, God probably, it's probably not on the top of his priority list in all of the world's problems to deal with your parking lot issue. That's probably not at the top of his priority list. On the other side of the coin, I really do think that God cares for his children in the most minute details. And so I'm not really sure. I, I actually think that the parents of that family were doing their, their children a good service by teaching them to pray for even the smallest things, uh, by teaching them to pray for things that, only a father would care about. And, uh, you know, and so it, it's interesting, you know, when I'm when trying to spend time with my children, it really doesn't matter what comes out of their mouth. I just want to spend time with them and they might have the strangest requests, but I, I still love them and I still want to meet those requests. And, and, and so when it comes to this time of the year, in a couple of days, we'll hit New Year's. And uh, the, the vast majority of the country, statistically speaking, the vast majority of the country makes New Year's resolutions. Now, some of those resolutions are pretty good, and some of them are pointless. And so um, my, my question, I guess, is does God care about our New Year's resolutions? Does God care? Because if on one hand, you know, does God really care that you lose any weight? I'm not really sure. Does God not care that you, I mean, does, does, he, does he have priorities in that way? And I, I want to read a couple scriptures uh, just to kind of see whether even whether God should care about this. Let's Proverbs twenty one five. It'll be up on the screen for you. It says this: The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. 
But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The plans of the diligent, that really, that really jumped off a page at me. The plans of the diligent sure, uh, lead surely to abundance. And there's this other verse that Jesus says in Luke 14, 28. It says this, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Jesus is asking this kind of rhetorical question. Isn't it not better to sit down, if you're going to build something out, if you're going to make plans, isn't it not better to sit down and count the cost to somehow build a plan, a plan, build a foundation, an idea, make some commitments as to what you're going to do before you hastily go out and do it? I think the conclusion is, uh, based solely maybe just on those couple verses, is that I think that God does care about our New Year's resolutions. He cares about our plans. He cares about our commitments. I think he, he wants to be intricately involved in what we do for 2014. So if God cares about our commitments for 2014, shouldn't we spend some time actually thinking about how we're going to accomplish them? Or do we just frivolously say, oh, I, I just want to do this, that, and the other? But if God cares, then I think that we should put some brain power to it. And I think that we should learn a couple principles on how we might be able to accomplish some things next year. And the areas in life in which we should pinpoint to say this is what we're going to do. Now, <clears throat> let me just give you a, just a kind of where I'm at a little bit. This, uh, most of you come and think oh, this is going to be a sermon. Well, uh, I, this is going to be more of a talk than a sermon. So if you, if you came here thinking I'm going to like parse Greek verbs and, uh, and shout down the, whole, you know, the Hail Mary, I, I'm, not, I'm just not going to do that this morning. I'm going to give a little bit of a talk. This is going to be very practical. So if you have a pen, paper, uh, you should have this little piece of paper that I got out for you. Uh, and that's, that's not really going to be, that's going to be uh, an exercise for afterwards today. Uh, but if you've got a pen and paper, it'd be helpful for you. Today's just going to be super uber practical, uh, that I want to give you some tools to walk through the next couple days so that you can make plan for 2014. Okay. Are you with me? Say I'm with you. If you're with me. Awesome. Very good. Okay. A couple principles I want to lay down, uh, for 2014 for a, a plan that God cares about. So if you're, you're taking notes right down on top of the page, a plan that God cares about. A plan that God cares about. Here's a couple principles. I have three principles. I'm going to give you two at the very beginning. I'm going to give you one at the very end. So three principles about how we're going to build this out. Now, this is our foundation, okay? Imagine if we're building a house. The principles are our foundation for this whole thing. And then we're going to build some commitments that are going to be the pillars and the, uh, the actual function of the house, okay? So uh, number one, and I, st- I stole this from another pastor named Andy Stanley. He says this, direction not intention uh, determines destination. It's a cool, cool little saying. Direction, not intention, determines destination. Most resolutions for this coming year will be built upon intentions. I intend to do something. I intend to do something. But most, here's the deal, most will never actually start, and, and a lot of them will not go in the right direction starting out. Now imagine, if you will, if you, if you said, I intend, my intention net tomorrow is to drive to Miami. I'm going to drive to Miami. Now, if you never get in your car, you're never going to go anywhere, right? That's a pretty easy one. But direction is important. Now, if you got in your car and every, you buckled in, you got everything ready, packed your suitcase ready to go, and you got on the highway and started heading west, are you ever going to get there? No. Direction 
is important for your destination. Direction. So I want to make sure that it's just principle, kind of foundational issue. Direction means everything. We have to make sure that we're going in the right direction. Number two, every goal is a spiritual goal. Every goal is a spiritual goal because we are spiritual beings. Every goal is a spiritual goal because we are spiritual beings. I think, here's, here's where I think a lot of Christians go wrong. We compartmentalize our life. We say, Here, here's a physical goal that I have, maybe for my body. And then I have spiritual goals. These are the things that I'm going to do in my relationship with God. However, the Bible, nor God, nor anybody, actually thinks that you can separate the spiritual out of, out of anything. We are inherently spiritual beings. So therefore, our spiritual life, we are created with a spirit, it permeates everything. Okay? You, you take your spirit everywhere you go. So every goal that you have is essentially a spiritual goal. You cannot separate it. You can't compartmentalize it. You can't say, hey, I'm going to do these things as a physical goal. I'm going to do these things as a spiritual goal. That doesn't work. Your spiritual, your, your spiritual goal is going to permeate all of that stuff. One time I had somebody that told me, Charlie, you just need to be a little less intimidating. And I said, <clears throat> okay, I didn't know that I was intimidating. How can I be less intimidating? And they looked at me and they said, well, I mean, you're just so tall. I, I, I can't get rid of that. Like, there, there's, it's who I am. And just like, a, just like you're a physical goal, a mental goal, a financial goal, whatever goals that you have, your spirit is going to carry along with you all the time. So spiritual goals, are, you're, you're, you're going to have spiritual goals all over the place, okay? So that's principle number two. Now, we're, those were a couple found, foundational things. Now we're going to start building on top of this. So here's six areas of commitment for 2014. You guys ready? Say, I'm ready if you're ready. Sweet. Six areas of commitment for 2014. Physical. Physical. Physical commitments. How will you steward your body better in 2014? How will you steward your body better in 2014? How many just, I mean, we're going to have a little bit of participation here, okay? How many are planning on shedding a few pounds? Be honest. All right, my hand is up. There's my hand is up. Okay. We're all together. All right. Shedding a few pounds. Okay, so doing a little bit of, of physical repair. Somebody just had their arm raised by somebody else. I love, I love that. that. That's hilarious. I won't punch you out, but that's pretty funny. Um, I mean, God gave us these bodies, and this is where the spiritual comes in to our physical, okay? God gave these bodies to us. Now, me and Adrian just spent a couple of days, you guys might have done this too, giving gifts to our children, right? Now, our body is a gift from God. I would be pretty mad if I gave these maybe Christmas gifts to my children and they immediately disrespected those gifts. They immediately started tearing them apart, throwing them around as if they were just a ragdoll. And so we're, we have to be careful that we actually take care of our body. God gave to us uh, this body and we have to make sure that we take care of it. Now, historically, the church... Uh, speaks very ill against against three things. We got uh, smoking, drinking, and drugs. Now, drugs is an easy one. Drugs, kind of illegal. I, I would highly, uh, highly tell you not to do drugs. Not not a good idea. Uh, it's illegal in this state, at least for now. Um, and so, uh, not a good idea to do drugs. Not a wise choice. Now, smoking. There is nothing in the Bible that I can pull out and say you shouldn't smoke. However, you want to suck on that cancer stick. 
probably, you know, it's just not a, it's just not a wise choice. There's, I, I can't like pull out a Bible verse and say, thou shalt not smoke. But it just might be something that you want to think about for, your tem- for the temple of God, that, you know, the body, okay, that you might want to think about for 2014 and say, how am I going to steward my body better uh, in 2014? Something that you might need to think about. Uh, the, other is, uh, the other is drinking. On, on, in church circles, there's kind of two different paths on this. There's the, the teetotalers uh, where you're just like, you shouldn't drink at all. And there's people who's like, your freedom in Christ, you can do whatever. I think for us to toe the line correctly and biblically, uh, it obviously states in the Bible that we shouldn't get drunk, okay? We shouldn't be addicted to much wine. So just be, understand that that's the biblical kind of placement for it. Um, and, how, you know, you, I, I talk to people all the time that are just like, you know, I, I'm not— I don't have a problem with alcohol. I just like to have a glass of wine or I like to have a beer, you know, when I get home from work. And now here's my question for you. Is it possible for you to put that down for 30 days? And if not, then it's possible that you're dealing with an addiction. If you can't let go of something for about 30 days, it possibly means that you're addicted to it. So I just be very careful about that, okay? And, and so you know that you, you have freedom to drink. That's, that's okay. We don't speak against that. But the Bible very clearly says that we shouldn't be addicted to wine or, or much drink. Uh, and it certainly says that we shouldn't get drunk. Now, what the, the church doesn't talk a lot about is this area of food, obesity, all sorts of stuff. The reason why is because a whole lot of pastors don't drink. They just get drunk on gravy, right? Um, <coughs> uh, and so... <coughs> Uh, and it's, it's just as easy. I mean, more people died from obesity-related issues than uh, DUI this past year. Uh, so it's, it's uh, obviously, you can kill yourself with a spoon just as much as you can kill yourself with a bottle. Uh, so make sure... <clears throat> Uh, make sure that you're taking care of your body in a, in, a, in, a, in a good way. Of course, this year, I mean, the number one uh, New Year's resolution every single year is to lose a little bit of weight. And that probably is a good thing for most of us to do, including myself. Now, you know, don't, like if I'm eating something in a restaurant, don't hold, you're not my accountability partners. I don't have a hundred of those. So um, <clears throat> just chill out on that. I, I think, um, but I am going to try. Um, anyway, uh, and, and lastly, about your physical body. Most of us are going to make New Year's resolutions to get things accomplished, to do certain things. I think that, the, that a lot of us probably need to make a New Year's resolution to not do a lot of things. In our culture, rest is not something that people strive for. I've said this before. I actually think that sometimes the most glorifying thing that you can do for God is to take a nap. To get some rest. Three hours of sleep and 32 ounces of caffeine a day is not what your physical body was supposed to do. We need to take some time to Sabbath. We need to take some time to just rest. Let our heart be at peace. Not always having something to do, not always having some, uh, you know, I, I spoke about this a couple months ago just on Sabbath. We are, we are built to work six days and to rest an entire day on the seventh day, just like God did when he created things. So make sure that you build into your schedule for 2014 times of rest, times to take a nap. Maybe on New Year's Day when you're off work, don't, don't fill it with all sorts of stuff. Just take a nap, for goodness sakes. Take some time to Sabbath, rest. What is, you know, when are you going to go to bed? Is it going to be 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock at night? When are you going to go to bed? Have some Sabbath rest, okay? So that's physical. Number two, mental. How will you strengthen your mind? 
How will you strengthen your mind in 2014? Now, some of us have given up any ambition that we're going to get smarter. And you fully believe that everything that you, everything that you need for life you learned in high school and college, and you've given up on this ability to learn. Uh, I, I know two things uh, from, you know, from every, every single year that I get older. Number one, I know a whole lot less than I did when I was a teenager, right? Parents of teenagers say, Amen. Right? Okay. And number two, my parents were right a whole lot more than I would like to admit. We continue to learn things. I would hope that you engage your brain, that you allow your mental capacity to, uh, to kind of grow. And a lot of us think that our, our mental capacity really doesn't matter. But I would really encourage you, try to gain in knowledge. I think that one of the things that we've allowed... Um, our mental capacity to, to really kind of, at least uh, try to fill our mental capacity is this social media. A lot of us know a whole lot more about our high school friends that we haven't seen for years. We know a lot more about what's going on in their life than our neighbor across the street. And as a Christian, that's a problem. We have to be able to fill our mental capacity with stuff that simply matters. Now, if you, here's, here's just something about me. I hate scary movies. Hate them with a passion, right? Anybody else out there like you just hate scary movies? You would have to chain me to a chair and, make, and have some kind of contraption that like widens my eyes for, to get me to watch a scary movie. I just do not like them at all, horror movies. You, you're never going to get me to watch a horror movie. Maybe I'm just a little girl inside. I don't know, but it's just like I just do not like scary movies at all. And I, I think one of the, my biggest fears, though, What's more scary than a scary movie and probably even more scary than failure is to succeed at something that really doesn't matter. So many of us put so much time and so much mental capacity into things that mean absolutely nothing. And I would hope that you would think about that as you, uh, as you work through this year. Am I putting time into something that has no eternal value, that doesn't even have any value in this life, less in eternity. Be careful that you're giving yourself over and spending time doing things that have no value at all for your mental capacity. So what can you do? Three things that you can do. It all includes learning and all of it includes reading. Because I'm a reading guy and I'm going to push that on you no matter what, okay? Number one, read your Bible. Have a plan for reading your Bible. To, to enjoy kind of mental capacity, make sure that this is a spiritual goal. Yeah, I want you to read your Bibles, and I want you to have a plan for reading your Bible. Uh, one thing that you possibly could do if you've had a Bible for a long time is buy yourself a new Bible. This is something I did this year. I bought myself a new Bible because most of my Bibles, I write all over them and stuff, and I underline things. So I, I have a plan to uh, read, through, read the Bible through this year. And so I decided to buy myself a new Bible so that I can kind of start fresh. It might be something you want to do. Uh, it just... Just get yourself a reading plan. There's all sorts of reading plans out there. You can read the Bible through in a year. You can read the Bible through in two years, three years. You can read through the New Testament, the Old Testament. You can read through the Bible chronologically. There's all sorts of different reading plans out there. I would encourage you to grab one of those reading plans and work through it. It'd be a great thing. A lot of people ask me, and this is just kind of practical. A lot of people ask me, uh, what about translations? What should I buy when I go to the store as far as the Bible? Uh, There's three types of uh, Bible translations. There's a word-for-word translation. Uh, we usually use the, the English Standard Version, uh, which is uh, during church and while I preach through it. It's at 11th grade reading level. Most of you have an 11th grade reading level or higher, so we use that. Uh, so there's a word-for-word translation. 
uh, which the ESV is, uh, there is uh, there's kind of thought for thought or kind of like two or three words at a time that are uh, kind of, if you have an NIV Bible, that's also a very good translation, uh, written at like an eighth grade reading level, very, very good, very helpful. Uh, then there are kind of like paragraph by paragraph translations, the Living Bible or the New Living Translation, uh, very good translations. They're all, they're all very, very helpful. Uh, I, don't, I don't look down on any of them. I think that they're very, very helpful. So just know that there's three different types of translations, and, it'd be, uh, and you can look that up on the internet as to which one is good for you and your reading level. Uh, but I would just highly encourage you to have some kind of plan for reading your Bible. Don't go into 2014 saying, I'm going to read my Bible this year. And not have some kind of plan in which you're going to accomplish that. Okay? Just kind of flipping the pages and closing your eyes and putting your finger down is not, probably not the wisest choice. Okay? Uh, second thing that you can do to kind of engage your mental capacity would to, would to have like some kind of Bible memorization plan. Bible memorization plan. Bible verse memorization plan. You might want to memorize a couple of verses per month or maybe a whole section of scripture. I know somebody who has decided to, re- to memorize the entire book of Ephesians for, uh, in 2014. That that's their goal. They're going to memorize the entire book of the Bible, six chapters. I mean, that's pretty intense. It's a really cool goal that at the end of 2014, they're going to be able to recite the entire book of the Bible. That's really, really cool. So it, nothing else, I don't think, will engage your mind more than memorizing scripture so that you know it and you can, re- you can recall it at any given time. It's a really good thing for you to do. Another way to engage your mental capacity would be to have some kind of reading list. What books are you going to read this year? What books are you going to put in, in, like on your bookcase so you can, I mean, I've got about eight or nine of them. Do I have that picture? Did I put it, did I give you the picture? No, you never got it. Okay, cool. Um, so I've got eight books I'm going to read. My goal is to read one book a month. Uh, I've got eight books right now. I kind of have four wild cards I can stick in there this year. Um, but I'm excited about what God's going to do in my mind uh, this year. And I've got everything from like, uh, kind of some self-help stuff. I've got some great uh, theological texts. I've even got like a fiction book in there that's just going to kind of engage my mind. I'm really excited about that. Just kind of kind of blowing up that mental capacity that I would hope that you would enjoy as well. Okay, number three. Number three. Uh, vocational. What's your next step in your career? What's your next step in your career? It basically breaks down into three things. You're either a worker, you're a manager, or you are an entrepreneur. Worker, manager, entrepreneur. You can pretty much put yourself into those three categories. Now, is that where you're gifted? You have to ask yourself, do I want to stay in that? Now, a lot of us are, are built and gifted, and God has, has, will use this as workers. We're accomplishing something for somebody else's goal, and you want to be a worker. That's great. Some of us have, uh, you have, you have management kind of built into you, and you want to manage. Some of us just say, I, I don't like being a worker, and I don't like being a manager. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to start out. I want to do something new. It just depends on how ha- God has gifted you. But I would encourage you that, that you should be moving forward in your career somehow, some way, right? And so some of you this year need to plan some kind of conversation with your superior, your boss, or whomever. What's my next step in this company? Where am I going? How am I going to accomplish that? I want to know how I, can, how I can move forward, how I can take that next step. If, the, if, if that person looks back at you and said, you're, you're at the end of the line then I think, you know, don't quit your job like right then. Oh, I quit. Okay, don't do that, all right? But I would think about trying to maybe think about something else for, for not, not necessarily a change in career, but certainly a change in job to say, how can I move up? How can I move forward for my family's sake to engage yourself a little bit more? 
And you might get to the place where you're just like, I don't like my management. I don't like being a worker. And is that wrong? Is that sinful? No, I don't think so. It just means that God's possibly gifted you as an entrepreneur and you want to be your own boss. And that's a good thing. You shouldn't even think about that. How are you going to be coached in that way? What's your next step vocationally? Number four. Number four. Family. How are you using your marriage or singleness for the glory of God? How are you using your marriage or singleness for the glory of God? What are some goals that you're going to set for your marriage? Now, here's the deal. Most marriages, culturally, the goal is to stay married, right? It's like, I, I, my goal for my marriage is simply to not kill the other guy. I mean, it's like, I just don't want to kill my husband. That's my goal for my marriage. And that's a pretty low bar, right? All right, so like, at least our culture looks at marriage and says, the best days are behind you. The be, you know, when you were dating and when you, uh, when you just had moments where you're, you know, that's when, you're, when you got married and your honeymoon, that those were the best days of your marriage and it's just downhill from there. But that's not the biblical picture. The biblical picture is the worst days are behind you and the best days are in front of you. And we have to be able to grow in our marriages and use some diagnostic tools to say, how are we doing? If you have, if, if, it, if it's been months or possibly years or possibly decades since you have looked your spouse in the eye and said, how can I be a better husband? How can I be a better wife? How can I serve you or improve our marriage? Those are tough. That's a tough question to ask. And it's nerving. Like, how can I do better? Because you're really scared as to what they're going to say. Some of the responses are going to be like, well, you better do something quick or this thing's going to be over, right? And if you have that conversation, it's a good thing you did. I would also encourage you that if you haven't had a, uh, you know, our uh, children and, and, and you go for wellness checks. Anybody ever had a physical at the doctor, right? You get, you know, you kind of get checked out what your heart look, right, look like. I mean, how are you doing weight-wise, cholesterol, all sorts of different things. You have a wellness check. Some of you need to go for a wellness check with a professional biblical counselor. And that would be a good thing. That would be a great thing. You might think, you know, my marriage is fine. Well, let's go check it out. Let's make sure we are. I know a great uh, biblical counselor. I'd love to give you his name. A lot of folks in our church have, have, have uh, met with him and been able to build their marriages through uh, his counseling. I would love to give you his name and his number. He's available for you, okay? Uh, so just do some diagnostic checking with your marriage to make sure that you're growing, that your best days are ahead of you, not behind you. If you, if you fully think that your best days are behind you in your marriage, it's time to do a diagnostic check or a wellness check on your marriage, okay? Men... Look at me. This is your responsibility. I'm going to put this on you. It's you. Singleness for the glory of God. We have several singles in our church. And I just want to, how are you going to use your singleness for God's glory? How are you going to use this time in your life where you say, listen, I'm not married right now. I might not ever be, but I'm going to use this time. How am I going to use my singleness for God's glory? The Bible talks a lot about how God can use single people to do great things. So how are you going to use this time? Is it your goal to become married? If so, what's your next step? If it's not your goal to become married right now, what is God going to do with the time that he's given to you to, so that he can, be, he can be glorified through your life? in your singleness. That'd be great for you to consider. Of course, children, what are some goals that you have for your children? You might want to take all the notes here and then transfer them over to making goals for your children. Here's the, I think, a mistake that most parents make, that they want to have opportunities for their children, but they don't want to have goals. 
it's time for you to sit down and think through how, what are your goals for your children? John Roseman was here a couple months ago and he, and he said this, and I thought it was fantastic. What is your goal for your child when they're 30? Not when they're 10, not when they're 13, not when they're 18. What is your goal for, their, for your child when they're 30? And if you're looking at that child and saying, I want them to be self-sufficient, I want them to be humble, I want them to be organized, I want them to be successful, I want them to be all of these things, and your children are pathetic right now, and they're terrible and they're undisciplined, what are you going to do about that? What goals are you going to have? What goals are you going to have for them physically, mentally, vocationally, right? What, what goals are you going to have for them? It's important that you think through this. Do they think, do, do they think that they're the most important person in the room when they walk in? That's a problem. Do they know the scriptures? Do they have any type of relationship with God? These are goals that you need to set out for your children in 2014. Here's just a little hint. Your children are not going to make goals for 2014. So you need to think about that with them and possibly do that with them depending on how old they are. Number five. Number five. Financial. Is God first in your finances? Is God first in your finances? Uh, now, there's, there's lots of stuff I could talk about financially here. Uh, I'm going to concentrate on two things. Number one, begin to tithe. Begin to tithe. Tithing is uh, this, this, this biblical concept that we give 10% of our income uh, to the church. Now, uh, I mean, uh, what, that's a biblical principle. And here's, here's the thing. Here's something interesting for 2013. Uh, <clears throat> for the first two years of this church... I actually was pretty scared to tell you all that, what I just said. And um, the reason why I was scared was because uh, I didn't want you to hear me say things like that and then leave our church because, because the preacher was talking about money. Um, and then God really convicted me and, and the elders as well <clears throat> that we weren't teaching you the full, cons- uh, the full counsel of the scripture. And we weren't teaching you what God's word says. That we were kind of beating around the bush and we weren't talking about it very much. But it was amazing when God finally said, no, you're going to teach this to the church. To see what God did financially for our church, which is absolutely fantastic. I look forward to the next week kind of sharing with you some of those details. A lot of you already know some of those things. Uh, but anyway, I, I'm excited that so many people, since we've encouraged this, since we've really ta- uh, challenged you guys to give, so many people have come up to me and said, my family has been blessed by the fact that we've been tithing for the past couple months. And here's what God has done. Here's what I know. is that, that, that tithing takes a sledgehammer to a greedy heart. And it will change the way that, it will change the way that your family uh, functions and reacts and knows what God is doing. And you feel more and you have more ownership inside of the church. And it's exciting. You have more responsibility. And if you hear me say this and you're like, you know, this guy just wants more money for his church, that's fine. I'm just going to teach you this biblical command. And if you think that that's the case, then give your money to another church. I don't care. I want something for you and not from you. I want something that is going to change your life. And I believe tithing is going to be one of those things. Uh, Number two, uh, get out of debt. Get out of debt. The average family in this church, get this, the average family in this church owes somewhere around $40,000 in debt in this church. It has a death grip upon our ability to be generous. And what has happened is that debt has become very acceptable inside of the church because it's acceptable in our culture. Now, I heard a pastor say this. His name is uh, Perry Noble up in the upstate. And he, uh, he talked about how... Um, 
uh, and, and a lot of us uh, think that we look at Washington and we look at our uh, political system, we look how awful it is and how broken it is and we get mad that they can't figure out our finances and we're like $16 trillion in debt and somehow we owe our entire country, like all states like should go over to China because we owe it to them, right? And we look at them, we shake our fist and we say, why, are you, why can't you guys get it together? Why do you spend so much money? And we get mad at them and we're doing the same thing. They have a spending problem. Oh, absolutely they do. And we have spending problems. And this country is not going to be fixed by them. It's going to be fixed by us. And so we have to get our spending together. And so I would encourage you uh, to really think about how you're going to get out of debt. Uh, I heard this stat this week. 99% of people can get out of debt in seven years or less. 99% of people can get out of debt in seven years or less. 95% of people can get out of debt, including their marriage, in less than 10 years. No, I'm sorry, not a marriage. Okay, 95% of people can get out of debt, including their mortgage. Okay, mortgage. (laughs) It's harder than it looks up here, folks. Harder than it looks. Anyway. We usually have a, a financial peace class. We're going to run that this summer. However, I know uh, the Brazelton's right over here. Wave your hand in the air, Lisa, right there. Uh, Mark and, and Lisa Brazelton are kind of our church financial coaches, and they would love to, to talk with you about that. Hopefully, I'll get a nod right there. I didn't talk to her about that. But um, anyway, but if, if you're looking to possibly get out of debt uh, this year, that's one of your goals. I hope that you would go and talk to Lisa. She'll hang out in the lobby for a couple minutes after today's service, and she'd love to talk with you uh, about how just kind of do, doing some preliminary coaching on how you can get Get out of debt. Be a good thing for you to do. Uh, last, uh, last one, number six. Number six, <clears throat> one of my favorites. Church, are you invested in the three discipleship environments of our church? Are you invested in the three discipleship environments for your church? And here's the deal. As a church, as a church of Cane Bay, we sacrifice for simplicity. We don't do a whole lot. If you're one, if you're part of this church and like, hey, okay, where, where's this program? Where's this? I used to go to a church that did this and that and this. I'm just going to be honest with you. We don't do a whole lot as a church. We do three things. We do three things as a church. We have worship gathering, Sunday morning worship gathering. We have missional communities. And then we have these things called huddles. And that's purposeful. There's a lot of good ideas out there. We want to stay around. We want to stick around with the great ideas. Okay? Because we want to we get people into three very specific discipleship environments. Uh, we don't want to do everything. And the reason why we don't want you to do everything inside of the church is because we want you to live on mission outside of the church. And so we want you to do a few things, and we want you to do them very well. And so the question for you is, are you involved in all three discipleship environments of our church? The first one is, of course, the Sunday morning environment. If you've been coming here for around six to eight weeks, then you probably should be on some kind of Sunday morning team and taking responsibility for something on Sunday morning, whether it be with our kids or maybe the greeting team, parking team, tech team, worship team, hospitality team, all sorts of teams to make this thing function. It takes somewhere on Sunday morning, it takes somewhere around 60 to 70 volunteers to pull this thing off. And so we want you to be engaged in that. And we are growing as a church. We've grown by 54% just this year. I'll tell you that next year, next, next week. Um, but it's a little preview. Uh, we've grown by 54%. If we're going to continue to grow by 54%, we need a whole lot more folks who are going to lead the way and be involved on Sunday mornings and take responsibility for some for something. The same gospel that's good for you is also good for people who haven't heard it in this community. And so you need to be engaged in making sure that they hear it. 
And a lot of that is going to happen on Sunday morning. So I hope that you would get engaged uh, this year. Number two, get yourself into a missional community. It's the lifeblood of our church. It's how everything functions. It's the mission. It's the ministry arm of our church. It's how we care for people in our church. If you're not in a missional community, you're probably not engaged very much in this church. I want you to get into one. What David said earlier today is incredibly important. So make sure you get yourself into a missional community. Out of a missional community, you have these things called huddles. A huddle is two or three people doing life together, sharing in the scripture together, and challenging and encouraging one another. I love my huddles, all right? Who's in a huddle? Who's in a huddle? Whoop, whoop. See, awesome. And you love your huddles, right? I mean, it's, it's so fantastic to get into the word together. I hope that you would engage in those three environments. Now, of course, if you're new to Cane Bay, uh, we have something called the Discover class. The Discover class is, is a three-part class. It shares with you our mission values, uh, vision for the church, where we're going. It allows you in a small group environment to ask me questions, to ask uh, David or Joel questions about where we're going as a church, what we're doing, why we do it. Uh, and that class is going to happen. Uh, it's a three-week class happens on Sunday mornings, I believe at nine o'clock, uh, right here, uh, during, uh, during one of the worship hours. Um, and, uh, and, and so it happens January 26th, uh, February 2nd, February 9th, we have childcare, everything provided for you. If you're ready to take that next step with our church, I hope that you would engage with that. Uh, and there's an online form that you can, uh, that you can fill out real quick. Let us know that you're going to come. We'd love for you to take that next step. Now, I told you that there was going to be three principles. I gave you two. Uh, the first one is direction, not intention, determines destination. Make sure we're going in the, same, in, the, in the right direction. Every goal is a spiritual goal because we are spiritual beings. And number three, here it is. Number three, every commitment must have a first step. Every commitment must have a first step. Don't just write down a goal or put a goal into your mind and say, this is my intention, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to talk to my boss about, uh, you know, I want, to, I want to move up in my corporation, I want to get a raise, I want to, you know, don't, I want to make sure that my children are, are well disciplined this year. And you have all these intentions, all these New Year's resolutions, this is what I'm going to accomplish in 2014. Here's the deal, you need to write down your first step, your first practical step to get there, or you will never start and you will never go in the right direction. So every commitment has a first step. I've given you guys this. It's a very, very simple little tool that I built uh, for you guys. It should, be in your, or it, should, it should have been given to you. And I hope that you might use it this year. It has a little place where you can put what is your intention. What's your intention? Right here, you'd be able to answer these questions that I've given to you. And then what's your first step? What's your first step? And then actually put a goal date or a due date for that goal. Right? If it's to get yourself a Bible reading plan, write it down. I want to get myself a Bible reading plan. First step, Google Bible reading plan. Very, very simple. And then due date, January 1st. I want to have a Bible reading plan by January 1st. Very simple stuff. But I want you guys to use a tool. Make sure you're going in the right direction. Okay? And so we can have a very blessed, God-honoring 2014 that we can all have some um, <clears throat> personal success in, okay? I would love to talk to you about this more. Uh, if you need any coaching, need any help, need any advice, I would love for you to give that to you. So let's pray together, and we're going to sing one more song, uh, and then we're going to enjoy the new year. Uh, God, we love you. We're looking forward to how you're going to uh, work in people's lives through these, um, through these principles. Grateful that um, how you are working already in this church. Uh, looking forward to how uh, you're going to show us plans for 2014 as a church, as a body. Um, but Father, I pray that, that maybe today is just about us personally, individually. 
making goals, working out steps. I pray that people would not take this lightly, but this could be, for a lot of marriages, a significant day. It could be for a lot of parents a significant day where they draw a line in the sand and say, you know, we're not going to just have pipe dreams anymore. We're actually going to put some, uh, we're going to put some effort into this thing. Father, it could be a big day for some folks in their job, nailing down a conversation with their boss maybe this week or next week. And Father, it could be a good day for somebody to come to know the Lord and start the year out in that way. And Father, I pray for that person that's questioning and asking good questions about who God is and how, how he's going to work in their lives. God, we love you. And we look forward to how you're going to work in 2014. Amen.